welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damian Abraham, and once again, I am bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved with punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, a hilarious guest, someone who has been requested to appear on the show many, many times, and now it has finally happened, so please stop writing and demanding it. The hilarious Kyle Kinane is on the show, a pillar, a, a foundation of the punk comedy connection, a hilarious stand-up comedian who has a brand new special called Shocks and Struts, which you can check out right now, anywhere and everywhere. And he's going on tour, and we'll, we'll talk about all this in one second, but this is a good episode, I promise you. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, head over to the email address turnedoutofpunkpodcast at gmail.com. That is run by my brother and show producer and guest booker extraordinaire, Tristan Abraham, and he will get the message to me. He also runs a Instagram page and a Facebook page and now a Threads page, whatever the hell that is, all at Turned Out of Punk. There's also a TikTok page as well as a YouTube page at Turned Out of Punk on those platforms as well. There's some videos on there, some show announcements. You know, you know the deal. You know the deal. Well, maybe you don't know about the videos, but the latest video is me and Jack Black having a yo-yo battle. So check that out. It's, it's, it's got some, it's, it's funny. I'm not being funny in it. Jack's being funny and he's hilarious. So don't, don't worry. I'm not tooting my own horn on this one. I'm tooting Jack's horn. So check those things out. I also play in a band. We are called Fucked Up. You can find out more information at fuckedup.cc. We just had a brand new song, a cover song drop. This week of us covering uh, the great Eric's trip, as well as more recently, we had some song or less recently as that, but we had some songs drop with our good buddies in the hallucination. We did a cover of dangerous rhythms, electroshock and MDC's John Wayne was a Nazi. Very stoked on those. Head over to fuckedup.cc. Find out all this information. We got tours. Actually, I don't think any of the tours have been announced, but there's, there's stuff over there. Uh, also speaking of stuff, I will be in Las Vegas looking at all the stuff in the punk museum. I'll be there the 23rd, 24th and 25th, the 23rd, I'm going to be doing something with Fred Armisen, but then the 24th and 25th, I'm going to be giving tours. So if you've ever wanted to go to Las Vegas, now you finally have a reason. If there's ever been a reason to go to that town, it's me giving tours at the punk museum. So come on down, fly in for that. It's going to be a good time, I promise you. And we'll see rabies boots, you know? There's a museum now that has rabies boots in it. What a world, what a world, I can't wait. So come on out and hang out. We'll have a good time. Fat Mike's going to be there, Fred Armisen's going to be there. I'm probably getting some debates and arguments about the Minutemen and the big boys and all. It'll be a good time. We'll have a good time. Speaking of good times, a long, hot, punk summer is Hot Docs uh, film series that they've done. You can check out the episode with uh, Dave KW and I discussing American Hardcore, which I just came from the screening right now. I had a great time in that screening. Got to talk to Paul Rockman, the uh, Paul Rockman, sorry, the uh, director of the movie. Got to see it on the big screen again, and yeah, it was, it's awesome. So come on out. There's going to be some other screenings happening all summer long. You can find out more information over at Hot Docs social media stuff. On my social media page, Emissions Records social media page in Toronto, and and so check them all out. 
Check out every single one. Same information on all those sites, and that way you'll have it drilled into your head. And uh, that's it. That's it. All right, on to today's show. Today on the show, as I said off the top, the hilarious Kyle Kinane. You may know him as a member of the band Grand Marquis, but probably not. You probably know him as a stand-up comedian, a hilarious comic that's appeared all sorts of places over the years as well, not just on stages. And as I said off the top, also has a brand new special, Shocks and Struts. You can check it out now at YouTube and 800 Pound Gorilla. And uh, watch that. But if you are in the Toronto area and, and you, like me, you're just going to come to Toronto for those screenings I talked about earlier and just stay here the whole time. You might as well be here next Thursday, July 13th, when 13th, when Kyle Kinane comes to town at the Danforth Music Hall. Come out and hang out with me and Kyle. I will be there. I'm going to, I'm excited to go and hang out because I, Kyle's someone that people have requested for a long time. Obviously I'm a fan of his comedy and seen him all these various places and heard him on podcasts, including his own podcasts and, and stuff like that. But you know, never, never met him, never actually crossed paths with him. And now that we've sat down and talked, you'll, you'll hear it. We're buds. We're buddies now. And that's what I do this podcast for, to make myself friends. That's the only point uh, to doing this thing. Uh, but you got lots of stuff to do. You go over to kylekinane.com and you check out these tour dates because if you're not in Toronto and you don't want to fly into Toronto, he will be going to some other towns like Niagara Falls, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, lots in Cleveland. Oh my gosh, lots in Cleveland. Uh, and then in, in Montreal, he's got, anyway, go to kylekinane.com and, uh, and find out about those dates and come and hang out. Come in Toronto. Come, come up to Toronto and check out his it's got clips on there and stuff. And I don't know. I don't want to ramble on too much because this is a good episode and I, I want you to just sit back and relax and enjoy it. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to waste your time anymore. I'm going to let you uh, carry on with it. So everyone sit back, relax and enjoy the great Kyle Kinane on Turned Out a Punk. Kyle, thank you so much for coming on the show. You this I am excited about this one. I've been looking forward to this one for <laughs> since it was booked. Well, I myself am also excited, my friend, because uh, as I told you, I'm a huge fan of yours. But not only that, but you have been requested by many, many people over the years, and so for this to finally happen, I've heard you on other interviews, and I've heard you in other places, and I. I know that you can go deep on this punk stuff and no one ever seems to go deep with you. So I'm excited to finally, finally break that seal. I can go regionally deep. I can go. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, my, my, my breadth of knowledge is, you know, we could talk about pro BMX riders from the eighties or the Chicago punk scene from the, from the nineties. <laughs> those, those are my two areas of expertise. Well, I, uh, I separate my record collection by countries, but I do have a separate Chicago okay. box. And I happen to think that Chicago <laughs> in the nineties is one of the most significant punk scenes ever. And like, there's just so no. much, it's fascinating because you know, there are obviously big Chicago punk bands kind of the whole way through. But now when you look at it, if you look at fallout boy rise against an alkaline trio, those are like three of the biggest bands to kind of come out of nineties punk. Yeah. I, 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 kind of felt once i started i started comedy in 99 and once i found that i don't want to get all i don't want to romanticize comedy so much but if i didn't start doing comedy and it just took me out of being stoned in somebody's living room into being drunk in a bar but at <laughs> least there was 
there was forward momentum, albeit uh, liquid-filled forward momentum with comedy because I had to go out and I had to do something and I had to go to these open mics. Whereas, so I fell out of music. Once I started going to comedy shows, I was just going to comedy as much as I could. So I wasn't going to see music as much, but it was all the, it was the ethos of the music that informed me how to approach doing comedy. Absolutely. And I think, and I think that comes through in the way you kind of, you know, do stuff in terms of putting out specials and things like that. Like there's a, a punk rock kind of ethos that, that affects everything you do. It's, it, it, it's here and there. Some of it's, yeah, there's some elements of uh, DIY that are kind of unsustainable, which is there's, I've made this argument, like there's, there's DIY because I'm going to get it done the way I want to do it. And I don't trust anybody else to handle it. And then there's DIY because nobody else is willing to help me. And maybe I should reflect that. <laughs> why doesn't want to help me? Maybe I'm just not really good at this. <laughs> Some people have been staying DIY because nobody's helping them because they're not, because it's not, maybe it's not great. <laughs> yeah. There's that, there's definitely that aspect to it. There's a quality control thing yeah. that, that comes from uh, when people want to support you financially, I guess. Yeah. But uh, well, I, I got to go back though to where it all starts for you. Like, how did you get in a punk? Remember the first time you ever came across it? Oh man, I love talking about this so much. I it was really just it was sonically is what I liked about it. It wasn't clearly it wasn't like a political thing or I, you know, I grew up in the suburbs and did not have older siblings or like anybody to really introduce me to music like i didn't have like an older brother or sister to like kind of like hey this is what's cool i'm gonna take you this way so i was left to my own devices which meant i was my formidable years were in the 80s and i will i will still die on the hill of hair metal i love it i don't care i'm 46 come at me about it i don't care it's truly as poison put it nothing but a good time and that's what i kind of I listened to music to get away from boredom, not from problems. I wasn't trying to be, I wasn't trying to make myself more sad with music. So I was always listening to music to be, and glam metal was silly and it was, and it was girls and it was doofuses. And when you're 11, that's what is important. And, but also at that same time, I got cable television at a very early age. Uh, my parents were like, oh, that keeps them quiet. So we had cable TV early on. So not only do we have MTV, but that was where the hair metal videos came into play. But like movie channels. And so I remember the first song was Plastic Bertrand. From, from, uh, from National Lampoon's European Vacation. Oh, that's, that's on the soundtrack? The, yeah, that's when they're in the Louvre. That's and right. That's, and they have to like go through the loop. Like the loop's closing in 15 minutes. And so they're just that. <laughs> and I hearing that, just like, what's that? I need to know what that music It wasn't even in English. Yeah. But I was like, what is this music? What it's is an this amazing speed? song? Yeah. It still is. Yeah. And that's why, like, I was like, what? Where is this from? And it's not even in English. If they weren't playing it on the radio, I'd like, and I didn't know you could get soundtracks. I mean, that probably came out, that movie came out when I was 10 years old or something. I didn't know that soundtracks were a thing. But I was just like, oh, I like whatever that song is. 
And then when I saw thrashing, because I was also getting introduced like skateboarding and BMX, but I wasn't being introduced to like, I wasn't watching like animal chin or any of the Powell movies or anything. It was like the blockbuster movie. It was like thrashing. And uh, so circle jerks wild in the streets was playing in there and like suicidal tendencies. And they played it at gleaming the cube. And I'm like, what is this? Where is this music? It's not, on radio and it's not on MTV. And those are the only two ways outside of movies that you could ingest music. Mm-hmm. And so I couldn't, like, it was basically hearing those songs pop up in movies here or there, where I was like, whatever musically this this appeals to me, this is what I want things to sound like all the time. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. That kind of like, you just see it bubbling up and it's percolating and you can kind of, it's so interesting to kind of like think about that time now where we have everything at our fingertips at all times where and where you can just access anything you could search it out you could you know pull your phone up to it and figure out what song it yeah. is versus at this point where it's just like these little blips and you're trying to hold on to them as like a young person and and trying to follow these sort of like trails these breadcrumbs but do but that's kind of i mean that's kind of my beef with stand up now. Like there is, and I, you know, it's, I'm not trying to throw shade here, but it seems like Joe Rogan is the arbiter of what good comedy is to people. And it's like, but it's just cause it's like, that's the only path for people to discover comedy. And I'm sitting now I'm back to like, it's 1991 and comedy is filled with, you know, uh, bullet boys and, bang tangos because that's what is being exposed to people as the only kind of comedy that's out there i'm like no man there's got to be a nirvana coming sooner or later to let people (laughs) know that there's other there's so many other comedians that in addition to those i'm not saying it has to be either or there's no there's no slice of the pie there's no pie there's an infinite ocean of space to occupy but i just wish people would go further than the one source of like, well, this guy was on Rogan. So that's the comedy I know about. I just wish people would use these, like you said, use all this access to discover more comedy. It almost feels though, like for comedy outside of obviously the, the, the Rogan verse, which seems to have taken over, not yeah. just comedy. Sadly, I think it's taken over politics. I think it's yeah. like, taking yeah. Over discourse. yeah, we can, uh, yeah. But, I'll, 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 let's stay on the comedy part. I yeah. myself enough holes in my regular life. <laughs> no, but I mean, but also I think at the same time for comedy, it must feel a lot like the dawn of punk where you had the photocopier, you had the tape deck, you had the ability to kind of disseminate your, your, I don't know, content for lack of a better term, like where your music, yeah. you know, whereas now I feel you kind of have the same sort of thing happening where you could, there's lots of, you know, you don't have to wait for yuck yucks or one of these sort of comedy chains to sign you and then put you on the road in their clubs. Like you, you know better than me, but it seems like you would have a way to access a fan base without going through traditional channels now a lot easier than, you know, in the, it is, it is, but then it's not even a yuck yucks. Now it's just the algorithm, which determines it's the almighty algorithm. And I love that you're in Toronto. So it's yuck yucks. That was the hardest thing to reconcile, trying to go from punk rock to comedy. To be like, oh, yeah, man, my band's playing at the Fireside Bowl. We're playing, you know, playing with all these bands. What are you doing this weekend? Well, I got a spot at Zany's, so I don't <laughs> think I can. 
like I kept it secrets for so long just because it still wasn't it wasn't an easily blendable thing. It was still I mean, even the early comedy that I liked was Saturday Night Live was one thing, but I never if it was on Saturday nights, I was always doing something. I was always out with my friends or I was at a show. So I wasn't watching Saturday Night Live, but it was Kids in the Hall is what made me feel like there's this crowd just from the you know, shadowy men from a shadowy planet opening and the way the opening was shot, the kids in the hall. I'm like, this is just cool. And it's weird. And some of it makes no sense whatsoever. I think some of those guys are gay. What? There's gay people. Like it was like so much in that like half hour that they would show on kids in the hall Mm -hmm. that was felt so much more subversive than what a Saturday live would offer. And so that kind of came in, that kind of melt. Like, well, this is punk rock. I could talk about this at the punk show. I could talk about kids in the hall. And that's what, then it was punk rock, you know, like the like yeah. Bruce and, and Scott were both, you know, punk rock guys. And, and I, I feel like you're right. There's something about that show and just sort of like, obviously they're brilliant, you know, and not everyone yeah. can do it, but it's like anyone can do this. Like any, you can make, funny stuff you don't have to wait you know even the way you know that you'd see them around town and stuff i think in toronto it was like you know it was just such a cool cool kind of like you know punk move punk thing happening like a revolution yeah taking place well and that's that was one of the things about seeing music so i went from only finding music on like movies and everything and then you know my cousin bmx if you rode bmx you listen to Fugazi. That was it. For the most part, BMX was still more hillbilly, Iron Maiden, and skateboarding was all the cool punk stuff. But I didn't know the skateboarders. I knew more of the BMX stuff. So my cousin made me a mixtape, and it was like it had TSOL and Agent Orange and Fugazi, and it was great because like I'm like oh this, but it was also super serious. And I'm like, man, I'm I'm in seventh grade. Like I'm still just trying to have a good time. And like waiting room jams, but like I'm also like, I, I, these guys all sound pretty bummed out. <laughs> they don't sound like they're having any fun whatsoever. And then in high school, I was still, you know, collecting music like here and there. And, you know, a friend of a friend I met, and he was playing No Effects in the car. And I was like, what is this? What is this? It was White Trash too. He was like, I was like, what is this? I need to know what this is. This is what I need to know. Because if you never heard No Effects at all, and that's the first introduction to them and all of punk music from the 90s. Yeah. Like, that was mind-blowing. You know? And that's such a huge record, too, because it's like, you like you're saying, like, especially coming from a glam metal kind of thing, it had mm-hmm. a similar enough sound yeah. where... Like there were leads on it, like some of the production. Yeah, on it, yeah. You know? Very much. It's very clear, like very clear guitar. Yeah, guitar solos. And, but then, like, you can't play a song on the radio. And, like, oh, it's funny because they swear at the end, but they're being. And after a while, you're like, all right, it's, yeah, it's pretty corny looking back on it. But when you never heard any band do anything like that, and like, that was, and then that friend. He's like, what are you doing? I, I'll tell you exactly. It was, it was Valentine's Day in 1993. He's like, what are you doing? It's a Sunday night. I'm like, I don't know, man. We got school tomorrow. You just can't go out. He's like, we're going to see Screeching Weasel. I'm like, what's that? He's like, trust me. You're going you're gonna to enjoy it. And we went and saw Screeching Weasel on at the last show at a place called McGregor's, which was really just a mile from my house. 
this is where I can get real weird. I'll, if you'll allow it. Go, please. Oh, that was at, I've, 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 I've told this story, I think somewhere else, but not for an audience that would understand why this is as cool as it is. Yeah. So McGregor's was this, I think it was like a sports bar that had like a little live venue in the back. And so they would do these all ages shows that this is why I find out later. This is the last one they were going to do. This is the last show they were having. It was at the corner of North Avenue and route 83 in Villa park. And so apparently they've been having shows forever in the suburbs. It's a legendary spot. McGregor's. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. people know about it. I mean, that's like, Every time Green Day, even to this point, they'll play Wrigley Field. Like, who was at McGregor's? And that was <laughs> kids in high school be like, we saw Green Day at McGregor's. Like, where's McGregor's? I want to see, I want to do these things. Well, nobody invites me to stuff. And I didn't have a car. You know, I couldn't get anywhere. But so that, weirdly enough, the first time I ever saw what a comedy club was, it was across the street from that place. Because it was like, it was labeled as a comedy club. I just remember as a kid growing up, not knowing what stand-up was. Just seeing like somebody on like on the Tonight Show on Johnny Carson, like that guy's not in a band or an actor. He just hangs out and he's funny and that's his job. I'm like, that seems streamlined. <laughs> like I'll, I'll, I'll get to that. And then a comedy club. I'm like, what is that? It's like where people go and they somebody talks to them and they laugh. I'm like, that's a weird building to have. I just thought like the concept of well, a band plays and you enjoy music or there's a play or that's a movie theater. But I remember just being a kid, like, what's a comedy club? And they're like, guys. Yeah, People go in there and they laugh at a guy. I'm like, what? What? <laughs> I couldn't figure out. So that was across the street from McGregor's. Was I can't remember the name of the club. I think it was short. It was part of the 80s boom. But also, and I don't know if this is true or not, but my uncle is a firefighter in the area. And he said they had seen some, he had seen some maps at one point that 83 in North Avenue was actually ground zero for the Chicagoland area during the Cold War. Oh. For a nuclear strike, because, because you know, some of our great minds figure out how to kill the most people efficiently. Yeah, and apparently they realized that if Russia was going to attack with a nuclear missile, it would land there, because that's that was the population center. If it landed in Chicago, too much of the blast would go over Lake Michigan and be ineffective. So McGregor's was ground zero for a nuclear strike during the Cold War because that was that would kill the most uh, Chicagoland uh, residents. So there's a lot going on on that intersection. Yeah, historic historic block. Yeah, so most of those things are. Yeah, I think everything's gone now. But uh, when I saw that show, and I immediately. I was like, oh, this is the music I'm going to listen to. I, I, I not to. I'm being. It sounds like I'm being melodramatic or something. Like I'm like, oh, this is the music I'm going to listen to for the rest of my life. They're they're uh, especially at that point too. That show must have been awesome. That must have been a crazy packed show too. It was they the first show. The lineup was because it sold out, and they're like, "There's so many kids in this parking lot. We'll just play a second show." And so the first show was Screeching Weasel. I believe it was Smoking Popes, Vindictives and bull weevils oh what a bill yeah and so the second show was just screeching weasel because they added a second show on a sunday night an all ages show so they're already like pushing the limits and it was just chaos in there and it was like but they were funny like like i mean there was a time like yeah ben weasel is like a button pusher if you know in a polite way of saying it's called was great back in the day in mrr 
Yeah, yeah, all the rules and everything. Yeah. Like, and th- and that's what I liked about all the music I was going to see is that as opposed to like Age and Orange or TSOL or maybe not Age, but like TSOL, like, like a serious like political, like we're going to take down Reagan. I'm like, he's not even the guy anymore. Like well, all the Chicago the dead music, bodies. Yeah, it was fun. Like the guy, the bands were already funny. Yeah. Like there were really, it was a really good time. Like it was fun. It was uplifting. It was a good mood. Nobody's, you know, you weren't punching people to hurt them. It was, it was like good vibes pits. It was like, oh, somebody fell. You pick them up. It was that kind of like, it was good spirited. I, I love that kind of like, uh, Johan's face, um, underdog records kind of, mm-hmm. you know, like, like you're talking about, like sort of this sort of, because it's pop punk, but it's not vapid in the way that I think a lot of pop punk is understood to be. Like it's all like very passionate, you know. Like the Chicago style of pop punk is like sort of this very passionate, earnest, and I guess like you know Midwestern emo would would take a lot of this stuff, yeah, strip away the speed and sort of like the the punk side of things a little bit. But like there's a certain style to that Chicago stuff where. You know, like you're saying, it's fun and it's not as serious as certainly Fugazi, but at the same time, it is ripping and does have that kind of like edge to it where it's not sort of like, I don't know, just, just. No, you weren't singing about girls. It was still more angsty and more issue based. And there was still, you know, there was still, yeah, an emo element of like singing about your issues and singing about. You know your problems with the world, or more more of a personal issue thing. Not not necessarily society, or sometimes societal issues. That's why drinking games. Every time Pennywise says society in a song, take a shot. You'll be in the ER in twenty minutes. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But it was the music. Yeah, the music was a little more of a good time. Also, but yeah, Alkaline Trio was emo pop punk, and then they you know flirting with Satanism. Yeah, kind of thing. like but fun like fun satanism like oh man this is a catch this is a catchiest jam about the devil i've ever heard they they, they have like i think it's anton lavey's grandson on one of their records no 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 they've got uh on one of their records they've got uh the dude from death in june doing vocals oh really Are they did well they did a circle jerks i know they had keith uh keith morris sing on one of the songs back yeah singing back up it's so funny because they used to come to Toronto like on, on the first seven inch kind of era. And my yeah. friend used to always do the show and they were like sort of this, yeah, like pot smoking, like Crimp Shrine esque pop punk band. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fantastic too in that incarnation. But then to see them evolve into this, it's uh, even more of a shocking transformation than AFI always gets labeled with. Yeah. Well, it's funny because. It's uh, this is like the most like I'm not a dad or anything, but I feel like I still listen to the Sirius XM faction punk channel, so I I know what's going on out there. But anytime like an AFI song, but no, no, it wasn't. It was, it was anti flag or something. Something came on like the government wants your soul. I'm like I can't, nah, man. I can't, I'm just running errands right now. Like I'm trying to. <laughs> Why can't we get some more third wave sky? I'd much rather hear some less than Jake come in, man. That just gets me. That makes me happy. Well, I want to ask, were the Ska Beatles a Ska band? <laughs> the Ska Beatles, yes. The Ska Beatles, sorry, I the had, pronunciation. No, I have, I had no handle in naming that. That band, shout out to any uh, past members listening to this. 
that was my buddy Brian. It's, it's just they they were at a point where it was it's Roger and Kevin, and I'm gonna blank out and uh and uh oh the dude who runs DuPage County Hardcore, the website DuPage County Hardcore, whose name is escaping me right now. He was Hoffer, yeah, Dave Hoffer. Um they were just they were starting a ska band. It was basically if you have a horn left over from high school band, you can be in our band. <laughs> and I think I don't know if it was like some sort of weird, poorly thought out Phil Spector wall of sound they were trying to get with everybody that had a clarinet from ninth grade, but they just had every horn that anybody can get a hold of. I think knowing that like stockpiling, knowing people were gonna fall away. <laughs> so I got when I was in there, like, yeah, we're called the Scabeetles. And I was like, I can't tell anybody that this is the name of the band. <laughs> It is the best ska name I've heard. Like I thought, like the uh, <laughs> Luke Skywalker and all that kind of stuff. But I'm like, no, ska Beatles is, is no, no pun whatsoever. Let's just no. take the Beatles and put ska in front of it. <laughs> and awesome. I don't think that's what the intention was. I think it was supposed to be like the ska beat alls, and it like <laughs> would be ska Beatles. And god damn, man, I can't even because I. Because then I had that own dilemma with my own band because we're the Grand Marquis because two of us drove Grand Marquis, Mercury <laughs> Grand Marquis. But then we wanted to be with the S at the end with it pluralized, but it was a French word, Q-U-I-S. And so we're like, well, do we put an E-S on the end of that? I'm like, no, nah, that looks <laughs> stupid. So we could never make merch because we didn't know how to pluralize it and we didn't want to change the spelling. <laughs> <laughs> so don't ask me to name a band man i'm not gonna be it's not gonna be good well i, I think the song elvis papers rips that's the only song i've heard from Graham. oh Marquis. thanks man i just put some stuff i put the band camp link up on instagram because i was talking about it with somebody just the other day and i'm like you know what we i still think we did a good job for what we were and uh so we put that up it's yeah it's you can see the band camp on there I'll play that was, on, this, on the beginning of the show. Okay, thanks. Yeah, it was still... That band, it was fun because like we were buddies, and that's why it was fun. I had gone on to try other bands, and it just... It didn't really click. I mean, I'm not a good musician, and it clicked there because it was we were all friends. Like We had more fun practicing. As soon as we had a show, we're like, yeah, we got to break everything down. We just got to practice space sounding just right. Now we got to take it all down and load it. Uh, who would you guys play with like what kind of scene did you fall into uh the biggest old brian peterson out of chicago would put us on we we would bring out people we did have a good friend group ready to come out and have fun so i think the biggest acts we played with uh i was looking at some old line we played with the thumbs we played with baxter which was uh the pre uh, the rise against band pre rise against uh what's his what's tim's his band tim yeah we played we played with them we played with uh we actually played with it's, it's pre lawrence arms too right like it's like the lawrence arms uh um rise against connection band so oh who who went into lawrence arms the that? drummer from lawrence arms neil and, Neil, I can't believe I blanked on his name. Sorry about that. Neil, Neil. well, yeah, Neil's in every band, so you could just you could just name any band. Like who, Hennessy? Like yeah, he's <laughs> probably in that band. He's probably in there right now. <laughs> yeah, Hennessy and Brian Jones are like the two guys that are in every band. Uh, they uh, so 
Also, Pete Wentz. Wait. Pete Wentz was in like 12 different bands playing bass back then. From Fall Out Boy. We wound up playing, we played with, uh, it's funny because uh, Mike Rotondo just commented, I put the Grand Marquis stuff up. He's like, oh yeah, we, I forget the, his band's name. He's like, we played with you guys. And then they went on, he went on to Plain White Tees, I think Mike did. Oh, and okay. Then, and then we had played with Lando's 45, we would play with a lot, which was, um, Greg from our band was in them, and it was Mike Katani from a, this fantastic band called 30 Seconds Deep that put out maybe two seven inches and disbanded. And they were like, if they had carried on through like the screamo thing, that I no doubt they would have been huge. And it was Daryl from the Bow Weevils was in Lando's. So I still see Daryl all the time. It's just fun. To, I just love that he's like a full on doctor, like on billboards in Chicago. He's the best. I love him so he much. He rules. Like, yeah, during the pandemic, he was like, well, obviously it's still happening, but I mean, like mm-hmm. during the throes of the pandemic, he was such a uh, a great person to talk to because he was always like so grounded in just being a doctor and dealing with it in the emergency room and stuff like that, but also so optimistic and such a like rad guy from the Beweevils as a doctor. Yeah, and and really to not have like. I wish there were more of those connections of like, here's a real doctor that I know we're all punk rock, distrust the government kind of thing. And I am a big, you know, conspiracy guy too and everything, but it's like, well, but that's Daryl. We know Daryl. Yeah. Daryl's this. I'm going to listen to Daryl. If he says to do something medically, I'm going to listen to that guy, you know, not other punk rock internet conspiracy theorists of like, well, the government, you know, the moon landing thing. All right. Okay. Well, we all got a little carried. We all have our things. Sure. But we all, you're, you're right. We all need a Daryl in our lives. Someone that we can just go like, yo, I heard this thing. Is that true? And he could be like, no, why would the, why the hell would you think that? Or, <laughs> and he's still going to yes. be Daryl about it. Like, get your head out of your ass. You really yeah. fucking think that? Like, I like that a doctor will still talk to you like that. <laughs> And I think it's just like a testament to the fact that, you know, like the Weevils, Vindictive, Screeching Weasel, like there's just so many bands from there, you know, just doing this style. But then there's also, like you're saying, like there's, you know, Baxter, Kung Fu Rick and, and bands doing Kung that. Kung Fu so Rick. <laughs> it's like wave after wave of cool bands all at the same time coming out of Chicago, mainly in the suburbs too in the 90s, it seemed. It it was, yeah, every every fourth or fifth show you'd go down to the fireside i mean but also the fireside came up when a lot of times you know you look back as an adult you're like i can't believe they let kids do this for that long at a vfw i can't believe they must have just made some decent cash because we're okay it's a veterans of foreign wars and here's a bunch of kids like fuck america suck my dick it's like and it's like and it's just the four Vietnam vets in the bar, just like, yeah, let them have it. <laughs> it's like, and they're all running around slapping each other in there. So, you know, they were laughing at it. Yeah. But it went, I mean, granted, those, your high school years feel longer than your adult years. So, for what seems like, oh man, we must have been going to those shows for 10 years. Honestly, it maybe lasted 18 months at the Elmer's VFW, but it was great. And uh, yeah, all those church basements, church basements. God's not real. Suck my dick, Jesus. Well, they're just, they're in here and they're not doing drugs. So let them, <laughs> we'll just, 
put the earplugs in, read the good book. <laughs> I think I think the thing is, punk really benefited from the decline in uh, social orders, social groups. You know, like Masons. Yeah. You know, like Quaker societies. <laughs> like all these things falling down in membership meant that they were strapped for cash and. Just like the vets, they had to reach out to the punk kids, be like, "All right, bring your profanity into here, because we need yeah, some right. an unlikely economic salvation." Yes, exactly. <laughs> like we are, we are but the hermit crabs of culture. Yeah, so many Elks Lodge, not knowing what an Elks Lodge was, but they also didn't really card too much, so you can get beers. <laughs> like, so all right, I guess we like these Elks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're just like calling up to these places, like. Hey, I'm putting on a Christian rock concert. You know, what are the names of the band? Uh, Blasphemer, Death, and... Uh... <laughs> well, it was funny when one of the bands called out like, Hey, you know how we're all in here having a great time and it was only $5? Do you want to do this next weekend? Then stop tagging the bathroom, jagoffs. Yes. <laughs> like, I was like, yeah, we do like doing this every weekend. Try not to ruin it for us. It would, oh, it, the backpack tagger kids! Oh man, that was the—I forgot that era of the backpack ta- big thick marker taggers. It was just like yeah, like when you got to a space, the clock started ticking on how long these people were going to put up with the shit that you were going to bring into this place. Yeah, it was either it was either a, a relatively safe, uh, soundly constructed venue with an ownership that was a ticking clock, or the venue itself was the real. <laughs> there was. The first place I remember going to see shows, or one of the first places, was a place called the Third Floor in Elgin, and it was just—it was an empty third floor of like a decrepit office building. And some of them are seeing slapstick there, and like anytime there's like, oh, here's the jump around part. I remember even as like a 17 year old finding a pillar to get next to. I'm like, the floor is going to collapse. Yeah. I'm like, I don't. This floor is going down. I remember finding a pillar. I'm like, this seems like it'd be sturdiest over here. It'll fall over there, but if I'm over it, I can still hear. I can still see the band. <laughs> it's funny with Slapstick how that band was ginormous. Yeah. You know, and, and it just, it's, uh, once again, like another thing about the, there's like, oh yeah, there's, in addition to this pop punk scene, there's also this giant ska punk scene that's also kind of happening at the same time. Yeah. I've now become friends with Brendan over the years, which is like an interesting crossover. And I, I'm not going to speak on his behalf, but he, you know, told me about like the history of like I think they really stuck to the punk rock roots with slapstick and kind of weren't weren't going to go quick to a label and or you know right when things were getting picked off they were like ah, I don't know it seems like maybe it's not the right thing. It was funny because when he was on the show, he talked about how they sold like thirty thousand copies of their CD, and it's like mm-hmm. you know as like a kid in high school to have yeah. that much cash where you're not paying for anything. Like you're, you're, you're like wealthy off CDs, not wealthy, obviously, but like you've got money from CD sales. This was a time when bands were, were getting rich in terms of like huge, some of these huge pop punk bands because they were selling yeah. just so many CDs. So to be a big band at that point, you could, you could do all right. Yeah. A big band and also a big band with, I mean, I didn't know the inner band, I, I, you know, as much as we played shows and everything, we weren't with the in crowd. So I don't know who liked who or what the politics were in the scene. But you also had like, you were like, also, uh, I mean, you, you were Gene Simmons of the punk rock scene. You know, you were like, you were just held up like 
that was if I saw them at a show that they weren't on, I'm like, oh my god, so Brendan Kelly's just hanging out here. I'm like, oh. It's it's funny because like you know, and and obviously you're you're famous, but like it's one of those things that it happens at a very early level when in terms of fame, where it starts just fucking with your head. Like even in terms of being like ultimately not that famous in terms of being a punk rock band back then, but like like you're saying, you just get foisted on high by the kids in the scene, yeah. and it's sort of this weird. I don't know, it, like, if, if if any sort of fa- level of fame is going to be a mindfuck, it starts happening, I think, that much earlier in punk because it's so much smaller. Yeah, and it's you realize all the things that you kind of thought you were supposed to be against, you just, there was just, it was just the, ver- like, oh, the famous in punk rock, that's it's a high school quarterback that's going to get a college scholarship. It's still the same level of like, Oh, there's hope that you're going to get out of this town or whatever, going to get bigger. There's, you know, I hate frat guys, but also we're this punk rock crew and we're still very exclusive with who we hang out with and we're still jerks. We just have, we just smell worse. (laughs) You reject all that high school bullshit just to try and replicate it within the hardcore scene of the punk scene. Yeah. I found my group and now we're going to keep it. Well, it's, you know, when nerds get a hold of something of any kind, they're very yeah. protective of it. Well, I think it's just like also punk tends to draw people that are don't fit in. And then so when you finally find somewhere that you do fit in, you become protective and, and in some cases an asshole about it. Because you get, now you get to judge who doesn't fit in. Yeah, like your insecurities are are now <laughs> validated and you have a way to like kind of something to protect uh, them. I would... <laughs> I always get in these moments of like, you know, I'm 46. I'm like, ah, I've matured past that point. And it's like, no, I haven't. Like, you're just like talking about comedy earlier in this, where I'm like, well, but you know, these guys are popular, and I think these guys should be popular. I'm like, why? Why am I occupying my headspace with that? Like, <laughs> I still think everybody can put their stuff on YouTube. Everybody can say, hey, my stuff's on YouTube. You can watch it now. There are there are no uh, barriers to entry. Yeah, I think it's because these things become kind of like religion would have been for people, or or like faith in your king would have been at different times, or or your yeah. sovereign. Like we now fill these these spiritual voids with these things we're passionate about. And I say this as someone who has done five hundred episodes talking about punk <laughs> music. <laughs> how know? very how very unpunk of you to do. Well, to I tell, go that long. <laughs> I feel like I, I feel like it just it is an addiction, you know. But it's also yeah. the just I find it so fascinating how I guess it'd be like if you were like a religious theologist talking to different people about their perceptions on religion. Like I feel that when I talk to people about punk, like what's your definition of God? Like what do you what do you think this <laughs> thing that we all talk about and we all say we know and and it's so different. Like we all see it differently. I was trying to I was out on a a bike ride today we're, we're talking about like what do we, what do we do outside of like the like okay i'm a comedian but it can't all be comedy like i signed up for my friend i'm never i was never good at sports competition is not something i'm interested in. i signed up for a mountain bike race this sunday <clears throat> i'm gonna i wanted to make shirts that say coming in last so you don't have to i want to look <laughs> at it like <clears throat> like i'm doing a service but so the, like these rides it's like the adventurous part is going down but then going up well, you're just sitting on your bike pedaling thinking about whatever it is 
trying to write a bit, but it was something about like, I was like, you know, like, like picking at my nails or something, whatever neuroses I had. I was like, man, religion is just like, it's like an all inclusive resort for superstition. Like, so you don't have to like sit there and piecemeal like, well, this is anxiety and this is uh, OCD over here. This is just abandonment issues. A religion is just like, nah, we got you covered on all that stuff. <laughs> like all your little superstitions and, Oh, you need to touch something four times. Well, here's the sign of the cross. There you go. Just do that. But, Oh, you like to repeat things to feel safe. Well, here's prayer. We'll give you prayer. Like, I don't know if it'll go anywhere, but it's, I, I, I think it's got legs. Cause I, I, <laughs> I feel you like, I, I do think it's like, you know, it, it is it is something where, um, you know, now that we don't have this religion thing mm-hmm. to just surrender ourselves to and just have, have faith in, we got to find all this other shit to fill this void and to diagnose all this other stuff. Whereas before, it would be just like, just believe. Yeah. To your happen. point, yeah. Like, somebody give me an umbrella to file all these things under. <laughs> I need I need an umbrella. Yes, that that, that has all the things there. Or but, but try to say it all inclusive resort like punk rock. Well, here you can believe in this. This is what politically we align this way. Musically, this sounds like it's going to sound like this, and we're cool with these things. We're not cool with these things. Like, yeah, more or less, I was like that anyway. So cool. I'm I'm going to be part of the scene. Well, I think I think that's where the problem with the pandemic came. It was like. I think it really exposed the nuanced differences between all our definitions when all of a sudden it would be like, mm-hmm. yeah, we all hate the government. Yes. But there's definitely certain things that are happening right now that, you know, I'm going to trust the Daryl of the yeah. situation on. And then, and there's other people that you're like, yeah, no, but I hate the government in a way that includes anyone who's part of the medical establishment too. So that's the the nuance really mattered at that point well it's like yeah well i just followed the science just pointed to big pharma I'm like oh so you've been so then you've been complaining about uh insulin prices <laughs> no oh you, never never you never talked about insulin prices you know so you're then you're against the pay for pay for yourself american healthcare system oh no we're not fighting against that it's just the vaccine it's just that part of big pharma it's not all these other this scope and I, I i had to reconcile with myself too because i you know after you know 9 11 we're like oh we gotta do the scanners in the airport i'm like no pat me down you're gonna touch it you're gonna do this fake stuff you're touching it i want your day to be miserable because this is all a fraud i was i was that guy like anybody taking their shirt off with like the a legal search and seizure amendment written on their chest. I'm like, that's a hero right there. (laughs) But then this came along and I would, but I was that guy for that stuff. But now this one, I'm like, yeah, I kind of think that this, you know, I'm not going to say it was all perfect. And a lot of things were mishandled and and like fear dictate a lot of things. And, you know, the fear of the government versus fear of a disease. And, you know, we all, yeah. But the, the, the minutiae arguments that people were having, like, well, it's ridiculous. I saw somebody in their car by themselves with a mask on. That's where we're being brainwashed. Or maybe having a mask on is such not a big deal that they forgot to take it off like a fucking baseball hat. And maybe it's just not a big deal to wear a mask, you fucking baby. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Is all, most of this politics now, I'm just like, if you really hate something, why do you think about it so much? Like... If it really bothers you that someone's in the car with a mask on, don't fucking look. Like it really doesn't yeah. affect your day at all. Like if you're if you're upset that someone 
doesn't feel that the gender they've been assigned is their gender, then don't fucking think about it. It doesn't affect you. Like, it's just like such a weird politic of like, I got to be hyper concerned about other people's shit. And again, yeah, it's like, well, they're groomers. Okay, so you've been protesting the Catholic Church for, <laughs> what, the last 30 years? Exactly. And it's easy, because there's still one on every corner. Oh, no, you're going to go to the library, because some people want to dress up like other people and do a story hour. It's, oh, are we, I'm sorry, is Halloween over then? Can we not do Halloween? It, it just What's feels going like, on? The, yeah. it's such a desperate uh I don't know, I think it's like people that are just like afraid of the real things that are happening. Like I'm afraid of the, the environmental changes that are happening in this world. I'm afraid of wars. I'm afraid of the prices of things. I'm afraid of this billionaire class that seems to be content on robbing everyone to death. But like, mm-hmm. no, I'm going to get concerned about this other shit that other people are doing because I can bully them. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I think it's also a big fear of the unknown too. Yeah. It's this, it's this we've like, well, I don't get it. So that means it's wrong. It's like, well, I, was, I mean, I guess trying to do a joke about it is more in light of the trans thing. Like, oh, I don't get it. So I'd like, let's look over the big list of things that you don't understand, but accept on a regular basis. Yeah. Like, well, tra- I don't understand why somebody transgender. So it's wrong. Tell me how your iPhone works. No. Okay. <laughs> we got to get rid of that. But with microwave ovens, internal combustion energy, <laughs> solar power, that all of it, everything has to go. All the science. I don't know any of it. I'd have to get rid of so much stuff in my life if I was living by the principles of because I don't understand it, it means it's incorrect. So maybe there's no, they're not hurt. Like, yeah, it, it's a real, like, why is this live and left live thing? Kind of yeah. And that's like a... The ultimate thing with punk is that, like, yeah, just do your own thing. And obviously, as we said, it does replicate the worst parts of society and the worst elements of society within that. But at its core belief, it's that we can all just do what we want as long as we're not hurting somebody. Which, and and then you can still, but that's the challenge is flipping it on something you disagree with. But it's still somebody, if somebody wants to live in a cabin with a thousand guns just by themselves... They're not pointing those guns at anybody. They live there because they want to be alone. That's also, by definition, pretty punk rock. (laughs) (laughs) You always want to play play a mouth harp and you don't get along with people and you don't like the guy. The same thing. You probably agree with the same things that Anti-Flag is singing about. (laughs) Dying for the government. You just do it with like that bow with the one metal string on it, you know, bing ding with the barrel, you know, that's, that's just... Same kind of, you're probably agreeing on the same things as these kids with all the eyeliner are singing about. Oh, that's, I think, I think we found like a new genre, Appalachian black metal. Like with, oh, like, just like, I mean, that is, I mean, that's where the Norwegians came. Like that, the one guy just, they all live in cabins with a wood burning stove and just eat smoked fish all day. Like, would you do comedy on stage with Grand Marquis? Like, would you, or was it something that you were kind of like, it's a separate no. thing? No, I would never mix the two. I mean, we were always, we would be silly, but I was not allowed a microphone just because if I ever attempted to sing, it was, I, I purposely, you know, supplies are limited in a, in a DIY all ages show anyway. Like how many mics you need? I'm like, we just need two. Yeah. Cause I remember the one time I tried to do backups and my sister was in the front row and she just shook her head. Like, don't ever try that again. Oh, <laughs> Fair enough. You know, you have some core memories. Like, oh, that's one of them. And uh, 
I won't even do care. I, uh, I yeah, I won't even do karaoke. I I have like the kind of voice that's turned down the, turned down the speakers at karaoke band, not entertaining band, because I don't I don't know how to put the show behind the singing. I already know I'm a comedian. I don't want to be the clown. Like oh, look who needs more attention. I have. There's a big part of being punk rock and being loud and obnoxious and look at me, especially in high school and you know honestly before i started doing comedy i was really i always thought i was the funniest guy at a party it turns out i was the loudest guy at a party and people paid attention to me because nobody else could have a conversation and it's one of those you know we all have things that we get to look back and cringe about our our development that's one hard truth of like oh i was just a loud asshole (laughs) for a long time and now that I have comedy and I get my attention, I really don't need to seek it out elsewhere. I can't, I can't like, I can't even make a video with my phone if I know somebody can see me doing. Yeah. Like I can't make a promo video looking into my phone if I know somebody's watching me. So that like, yeah. So I, no, no comedy came into the music. Like we, we, we would banter. There was never enough people. Like you could always just, talk to the audience without the mic too and i would i would crack some jokes but i wasn't like i was trying so hard to be mike ness i just had a a wallet chain that would get caught on everything it was a shit show because there's there's a lot of really good funny front people from chicago in bands everybody was fun the mashuganas were one of the best times i love that band i was gonna ask you i haven't written down on my sheet oh the fact that like all right joe mashugana which at the time was just like a little pudgy smart ass and then the guitar player like you could tell it was almost like the scabitos where it's like i need a punk rock name what's your name craig all right you're craig anarchy like just yeah sure i'm craig anarchy who gives a shit like just knowing it's a silly <laughs> punk name but yeah. the band ruled but joe was always just such a smart ass and just like just trying to tune his guitar and like Nobody knew what they were doing. You know, you get to the B string where it's like, oh, that one's never going to. He's trying to get it. He's like, ah, fuck it. I already got your money. And they just start playing. And it sounds like shit. I'm like, this is hilarious. I love this. This makes this is making me smile. Yeah. No, there's like, it's funny. I was thinking about this today. Um, Like, I think one of the funniest people I've ever met is Jeff Jelen, you know, from uh, I think he was in Ivy League. And then he played in Charles Bronson later on. Okay. Um, and I was, I was, I'm thinking like almost every single member of Charles Bronson is funny. Ebro from the Meshuganas being not as funny, but he's funny. He's got a very dry wit. Yeah. Well, I mean, Charles Bronson was also just called Charles Bronson. (laughs) (laughs) What about about the fact that they put out, they bootleg their own demo as a seven inch and put it out on a label called privilege cracker records and then put the address (laughs) as the dude from race trader, the singer from race traders house, um, <laughs> to the point that the guy from race trader was getting mail like 10 years later from record collectors in Japan, asking him still like copies of the demo seven inch. There was, I mean, it could like even screeching weasel was like, because sloppy seconds had, I don't want to be a homosexual. Yeah. So they're just like, I do want to be a homosexual. And they just re-released the kill you, kill the musicians thing. And even, but sloppy, I saw sloppy seconds. I think that was probably the second show I ever went to. Because Vindictives were playing with the queers and sloppy seconds. I'm like, wait a minute, they're called the queers. 
I'm 16. I'm borrowing, you know, my mom's car. And then I'm like, all right, this band, the queers, like I bought their shirt, but it was like the Converse logo, but yeah. it said fuck off. So I'd like bleach off the fuck off logo because I wanted to wear it at school. And then, but then Sloppy Seconds came out. I'm like, that guy is dressed in full Ace Freely makeup and clothes. This guy did this just for an all ages punk show. <laughs> Has platform boots and the full makeup. The singer is 300 pounds with a captain's hat and gold chains on. Like, what the fuck is this? And then the vindictives, half the dudes were in bondage gear. And it was it was a moment of being 16-year-old suburban kid being like, I don't think I'm supposed to be here. <laughs> like, this is this is something special. It's, and, it's uh, funny because like that stuff outside of Chicago, I think had well, my, not sloppy seconds so much, but had yeah. less of a, a, a sleazier edge. But I think because of like horizontal action and and sort of like the mm-hmm. I think that stuff was a little more adult when it was in Chicago than it was when it was other places. Oh, was that what it was? Well, and finding out like sloppy seconds later, finding out they're from Indianapolis, like really? Yeah. <laughs> that is not, you guys are pulling this off in Indianapolis. That's a bold move. I, I, uh, I think that song, I want to be homosexual by screeching weasel is one of the best answer records ever. Like, I think that yeah. song is just crushing. Like I, I, um, yeah. you know, and I think screeching weasel in general, has like such a deep catalog and just you know like there's so much unrealized i guess commercial potential because i think anyone who mm-hmm. have heard the records but that song is one of the songs that i go back to and i'm like damn the lyrics for this thing the way and bruce bruce i think from uh toronto uh helped yeah he'll write it with them yeah they, they name check him in the song and yeah and if and they or he gave him the idea that story of doing the song i think yeah, and it's also such a catchy song. Like, like yeah. I'm sitting, like I'm trying, like, yeah, seventeen, and you know, I'm seventeen in the '90s, and I'm like, you know, you're still learning about what's going on in the world. Like, I am trying have like a hard time not singing along out loud in my car to a chorus of "I want to be a homosexual." Yeah, in suburban Chicago, this is an irrefutably good song. That's I'm like I'm gonna just sing these lyrics and be like, what? I'm like, song rules, man. Yeah, I'm sorry. The song's so good. I it is. Think I'm going to be homosexual. Oh, it's the it's like it's that record. You know, obviously being exposed to pans like Pansy Division, like, mm-hmm. um, and then getting into Ooh. other stuff like deeper stuff, sort of going on, and, and of course like what Martine from Los Crudos would talk about on stage and yeah. some of the lyrics too. Like, it was a scene that I feel so lucky to have been in, and yeah get exposed to like all these different sort of ideas and all these different people young so i don't wind up being like a 40 year old scared of my own shadow and yeah i mean i graduated high school in 95 and nobody was out in my high school in the Mm -hmm. 90s you know that was like kind of probably the era of the first like openly gay character on a sitcom well i mean well i I take that back there was like yeah like will and grace you had there was and i'm not going to speak on behalf of any group like but like oh here's like the marked representation mm-hmm. but then in punk rock like i it was still kind of like all right people this is again that scene of like oh i feel like i can you know maybe come out here versus in high school or something and then yeah hearing los crudos for the first time like oh this band's fucking insane and then you know find out that like Oh, they have queer members and everything. I'm like, this goes hard as fuck. This yeah. is wild, like awesome. And just, 
oh, I'm, I've been jamming out and now I'm going to be weird because I found out somebody in the band's gay. Like, no, no, that's not, you can't take it back. This band brought you joy. Rethink what you think about people now. They, they like, but I was exposed to it. Yeah. They, they like, they had, um, yeah, like, he's just like one of those, like, front people, Martine, where he could be saying something like, you know, incredibly serious in one song and then find a way to bring humor into the next speaking break. Yeah. And he would talk for longer than the songs, but it was never like in a bad way. Like I always felt yeah. like their shows were, uh, you know, just incredible. Nothing to take away from Limpress. Nothing to take away from Limpress. Limpress is like an unbelievable band and an incredible live show and, and a very important group. But those Los Crudos shows, I feel like so fortunate I got to see them. I think I only saw them once at the at the Scrap Skate Park. I think it's the only time I got to see Los Crudos actually. Or honestly, I went to so many shows. I they may have been on a bill. I saw it was it was at point like every weekend, and it was that moment of like as soon as you left the show, you had to grab every flyer somebody was handing out to know what you were going to do the next weekend. Yeah. So, but yeah, I saw them at the skate park. It was funny enough. Two years ago, I was uh, I was going through Bentonville, Arkansas to do some shows and they have um crystal bridges i think is the name of the american art museum in bentonville if you don't know about bentonville it's the home of walmart okay i did not know about bentonville (laughs) okay this is a a weird connection so bentonville arkansas is the home of walmart and because of that because it's the headquarters of walmart they've done so much to bentonville to make it this play this desirable location because they want to attract people to work for Walmart corporate, they realize it's in Arkansas. We need to make this city amazing. So the, this museum, completely free American art museum called Crystal Bridges. And it's just, it's this beautiful museum and it's just American art and I'm walking through it. And I see this painting of like, it's a painting of a guy with like a fun pink, like leather daddy hat on. And I'm like, oh, I didn't think, cause it's also, it was the, mama walmart's idea to have the museum yeah like her as as my friend who was taking me through he's like he's like yeah it was one of her beliefs that like art is for everybody art shouldn't be you know held hostage by anybody arts for everybody and then he follows it up he's like ah or you could just pay all your employees a little bit more and they could afford to go to museums <laughs> so that was that was his attitude sense which i thought made a lot of sense but i'm looking at this like painting of like a, a guy kind of laying down and i don't just like a mermaid leather day or something i, I look up and it was like, oh, portrait of Martin Crudo. Oh. I was like, you gotta be shitting me right now. Let's think there's a portrait of the singer Los Crudos in Mama Walmart's <laughs> museum in Arkansas. This rules. <laughs> That's I wonder. Do you know who did the portrait? Did I can't remember. I think I took a That's picture so of it, so wild. I can remember. I can't remember off offhand, but it just not the place I think to see an inclusive. American uh, art museum is in the middle of Arkansas. But. Oh, and I, I think it's also just a testament how far that band's reached, you know, like in terms of, you know, it's interesting because, you know, we're talking about how big stuff can get, you know, and like in terms mm-hmm. of like wanting things to be more popular. But then there's also this idea of like, but if it's good, it will just spread and it might take time. And it might not yeah. be like the bank can appreciate it during their first run. They might have to get back together and do reunion jokes. Yeah. But the impact of Los Crudos is just so immense. And just like the ripples that that band, you know, considering they played most of their shows to no more than a few hundred people, it's just, 
you know, yeah. in Walmart. Or yeah, it's in the Walmart adjacent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's you know for like queer community, Latino community, or Latinx. I'm you know yeah. I'm still I'm still getting the terms right for myself here. So my apologies. No, it's I, oh. I'm learning is every day's learning. You know that's my my thing. But... Trying to do the right thing, but stumbling stumbling towards progress. Maybe stumbling. gotta allow. <laughs> Gotta allow a few missteps. That's the next Grand Marquis record title right there. <laughs> so I'll name something stumbling towards progress. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um it's interesting too, because like Fred Armisen's another guy from Chicago that I think played oh, in yeah. DIY bands, you know, and like Trenchmouth. Trenchmouth, exactly. And like mm-hmm. and then hit a point where he was like, music's not gonna do it. And, and switched to comedy and just started pursuing comedy. But it seems like kind of similar to what happened with yourself. Like it wasn't something that he was actively pursuing prior to. It just became like, okay, this, this might work. This makes sense. I think it's a testament to be like, all right, I might not make a living, but this is the thing that makes me happy. And if it, it if it does wind up paying a few bills, boy, that would be great, but that's not going to be the focus. I mean, and Jug, Jughead too. Mm you know, was always, he was doing like experimental improv theater in the nineties as well. He was uh too much light makes the baby go blind. I think he was part of that. Like they did 30 plays in 30 minutes and it was a clothesline with just ideas, suggestions from the audience. And so they'd pull one down and do a scene on that for a minute, pull the other one down to another scene on that for a minute. So he was doing that in the nineties. And I was like, wait a minute, but that's the punk rock guy. Yeah. But he's doing, but he's doing this. And it was like, not that I need a uh, comedic representation for myself to feel okay to come out of the closet as a clown, but I was like, yeah, oh good. Oh, see some of the music guys are doing theater stuff. So maybe it's okay if I start doing some comedy. Uh, but I, I, I think the big thing about Chicago is nobody, people wanted to be good. They didn't want to be famous. Mm-hmm. The fame was a result of it, but the, the, it just, especially with stand up and music, it's like, no, we just, I think we want to be, we, not not thirsty for the respect of their peers, but like we want to make something that we're proud of, not just trying to fill a slot to get famous, you know? There's almost like an anti-careerism to a lot of the stuff in Chicago. Oh, yeah, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> yeah, like it's funny too, because like you see that also in, uh, you see it a lot in, in the music stuff. Like Tim, Tim from uh, Baxter and Rise Against was telling me that when yeah. Rise Against signed to Fat Records, all these people just shit on him. You know, this idea like, oh, you're going to get Fat Mike to drop you off in a limo? Like, oh, you Fat <laughs> Records money right now, buying you a van or something? And it's sort of yeah. this, it, it's, it's sort of this humble, like forced upon you humbleness that you have to carry with you, it seems, in Chicago to be in the art. Especially with the music. Yeah, there's a lot of Chuck Taylors with bullet holes in them, I think. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's, uh, yeah, yeah, it's like we could like, I mean, how many band, bands sang about the idea of selling out and it's like it's i mean you heard the todd berry joke about <clears throat> fugazi right and that oh. was that was another big thing for me was to hear a comedian make a joke about fugazi yeah that was also palatable for any audience you know about like the and his band's char- fucking awesome todd berry's old band todd was in a band yeah he was drummer oh now i gotta look it up um, I, I saw him play drums for Super Chunk in Chicago. Like he just played a couple songs. I'm like I did not think Todd Barry was a drummer. He's had gloves on. And everything. I'm like, oh, man, <laughs> so 
<laughs> I'm going to look it up because it, they, they're like kind of, they remind me of like a New Zealand flying nun band a little bit. And he only played the chant is what they were called. Really? And I don't know if he played on all their records or just um, the first LP, but it is, it is awesome. I had no idea. I got to I got to get into that tonight. Yeah, no, it's on YouTube. Don't worry. It's it's, it's, it's easily Especially so mellow. He's so mellow. So measured. Well, well that makes sense for a drummer to be measured, but I guess he's just such like he does not seem like he exerts energy. It that's funny. There's a lot of comedy drummers, right? John Belushi played drums in the Dead Boys for a hot minute. Oh yeah, there's that. Yeah, yeah, I guess you got you got Craig Ferguson. You got Armisen. Ferguson's yeah. a drummer, yeah. Yeah, Craig Ferguson played in um played with Nico from the Velvet Underground on a tour that she did in Scotland back in the eighty two, I think, and stuff. I wonder if that's I mean, is that why they be all went to comedies? They're stuck behind the drums and never got mic'd up. So they like that they had to just break away from it all and be in the front. I think the hacky joke would be that they're it's all about timing. God damn it, man. That would be my, but I think I don't know. If that's I a judge. See, that's I, and I'm the professional comedian. We can end it right there. That was, uh, that was yeah, but, uh, that's what it should have been. But that, no, but you would have gotten a much better punchline. I went with the obvious <laughs> one that I think someone else has told me when I brought that I, up. I, this I, I, I said Todd Berry was measured. That makes sense. All right. <laughs> but it, it is interesting <laughs> that there is a lot of not a lot, but there is a bit of comedy punk crossover oh and i cut you off before you told the todd berry what is the todd berry fugazi thing oh i thought you knew the joke already. no no i didn't know it oh he's you know he's like you know there's this uh punk rock band called fugazi and uh they only charge five dollars for shows it's like i gotta think there's one guy in the band is like hey guys how about six dollars <laughs> because you know that extra dollar times <laughs> you know times 200 shows a year means I don't have to have a roommate when I'm 42. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, guys, how about $6? And that, it's a great joke on its own. He makes you understand. But I remember when Peterson raised the price to like 7 bucks to get into the fireside, and kids were just on the sidewalk like, well, I only came down here with 5 bucks, Brian. (laughs) What do you want me to do? I can't drive back to the Splains to get $2. Uh. It it is uh it's funny when Eric Bachman from Marches of Loaf was on the podcast, he was saying that Guy was at one of their shows and he's by the merch table. And he's like, God, people really love buying shirts at shows. We probably should have made some shirts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Even comments it's like, oh merch, merch is what keeps you afloat. And it still is. Just Who- band merch is just cooler. Again, another thing I took from bands. Don't make your merch look stupid. Yeah. <laughs> Who was the first comic to do merch, do you think? Like, to actually, like, obviously there was, you know, I'm sure there was t-shirts at those stadium comedy shows, but in terms of, like, you know, kind of bringing the punk rock music side of things to comedy. Well, I don't think it was ever punk rock. I think it was just a financial necessity or a grift. But <laughs> I will tell you that. Because sure, I mean shirts, shirts and, and and albums. That's the you know that was the currency of the show, and they were, everybody was traveling in the band, so you could do that as a comedian. You're doing it yourself. You're flying. You can't bring bulky items, so it's yeah. difficult to travel with that kind of stuff. I people would have CDs, or they'd have. I remember a guy I worked with. 
one of the first out of town gigs I had. And again, still trying to be Johnny badass. I was like smoking in the comedy condo. And he's like, what are you doing? Like, I'm smoking cigarettes, man, because they're cool. Like, I'm like, who's this old man? <laughs> and he was, he ended his set with a, uh, a puppet, uh, a shadow puppet show, which was still somehow racist. And the, and uh, he sold a book on how to do his shadow puppets. But he also did something like, oh, sometimes I just got to stretch. And he would like or flex or stretch his arms, but his ears, the top of his ears would bend when he did it because he had taped fishing wire behind his ears (laughs) and it's in his pocket. So when he pulled on the fishing wire in his pockets, his ears would flap a little bit and he sold the kit for that, which was like fishing line and two pieces of scotch tape (laughs) and a little envelope for like five bucks a piece. That is awesome. That is there's moments where you're like, I and I want to do this. Like I want to get to his level. <laughs> well, that's the I guess that's what's changed now is like <laughs> that guy would now be you know selling it on TikTok instead. Like he'd have a TikTok page for and telling you to do it. I will look up old headliners just to see. I mean, there was so many lessons. I remember one of the first times I went back to Chicago and I was really headlining Zanies. And uh, I remember seeing one of the guys I would see who was a who was a headliner when I first started out. So I started in '99, and I was still seeing the end of like the '80s and early '90s boom, like the comic, like again the same like hair metal boom that just collapsed because there was a thousand comedy clubs, and anybody with ten minutes about their wife could get on stage and get a sitcom, and that bubble burst. So I kind of got to see the last remaining uh, participants in that scene when I started and I would find now I'm headlining Zanies and it's uh, probably 2010, 2011 or something. And I saw one of those guys hanging out afterwards. I'm like, Oh man, hey, I hadn't seen you in, you know, 11 years. I'm like, how you been? It's like, cool that you're still coming to see comedy shows. Like, now nah, I clean the carpets here after, after the end of the week. That's, that's his business now is carpet cleaning. And I'm not knocking that, but it's also like, Oh shit. If you don't go a hundred percent in on comedy, you don't have a plan B. Mm-hmm. This guy had to develop a business in middle age. And one of those things was like, well, at least, and I'll, and I'll give credit to the, I talk shit about zanies about how they didn't give locals, but they still kept the people that were in the family. Like they kept them in, like you've got a carpet cleaning business. You're going to clean the carpets in my club. I'm going to still keep you in the rotation one way or another. So credit to them on that. But it was just, it was this thing like, Oh, if I don't, go balls out on comedy and try to improve and try to do this the best I can. I'm going to be looking at starting a some sort of hustle when I'm 45 because I don't know what else to do. It's interesting though. Cause like, I think in music you kind of are going to have to age out eventually, right? Like George Burns, you could do comedy right up till the end, you know, as long as you kind of keep your, your head about you. But with the music thing, like how many more years have the stones got like before, you know, just how many more years do those 75 year olds have? <laughs> I think they're older than 75 now, right? I think they're like, they? like, I don't know. I do, I do wonder about that because comedy, I mean, I'm not at the, uh, you know, if you're a TV star celebrity, you can pivot into a lot of celebrity based careers. You can George Foreman a grill or something. You can be a uh, mm-hmm. talk show, but I'm still at like 
I'm in a good space now, but how long is somebody it's like the audience is the age range. Like I would love to get to a point of like a Jim Gaffigan is going to talk about food and fill a basketball stadium, <laughs> but I don't, I'm not. And I mean, I, and I laugh at Jim Gaffigan. I, I think that stuff's funny. I don't have the kind of act that's going to do that. So it's really my willingness to keep grinding and doing, I would like to do, maybe a couple less shows a year as I get older, but I, I, I don't know. It's, it's scary to think about <laughs> like what's, where do you go? Well, I feel like, you know, very much the same way. Cause like what I'm doing musically is never going to fill, <laughs> not, yeah. not going to fill the, the dressing room of the basketball stadium. But at the same time, like I don't necessarily want to fill yeah. a basketball stadium. Like, I don't know if I'd want to be that kind of performer and nothing against people that, are those kind of performers but at the same time like that's those, that's not kind of the shows that i liked you know that's not, not yeah. kind of shows i responded to i i mean i mean i still you know growing up that's the you know you watch eddie murphy raws you watch concert comedy films but i also i mean there is a sense of a golden prison mm-hmm. you know that you can't how do you pivot sebastian maniscalco isn't going to pivot to talking about real world issues yeah because he's got this legion of fans so you got you kind of get so i can pivot however i want i have i i mean it's designed that way too i've designed i've I've hoped that i haven't repeated or i hope i've shown growth with the subject matter that i talk about like one from like making jokes about you know anti-gun and gun owners to now having you know having firearms and talking about well it was pretty easy to get one i know first firsthand experience yeah they just let me have one that's a pretty shitty system. If I have one, I shouldn't have one. Making jokes about that, but also, you know, emotional growth. You don't want to just be the same, like, boy, I got so drunk last night. Okay, that was 10 years ago. Here's 10 years later. Boy, I got so drunk like that. Now it's 20 years later. Boy, I'll still tell, like, part haphazard party stories and this and that, but hopefully it's more of a, I'm ashamed of myself, and here's a lesson that was learned throughout it. But Well, I guess, like, also those stadium comics, like, I'm sure, you know, there's something that- found success mm-hmm. and continue to find success. But then there's also like Yahoo serious and, and like all these people that at one time mm-hmm. did this comedy that hit, but it's like so tied to an era that yeah. it's not like they're, it, it's not like a Kubrick like career that they're having where they're developing what they're doing over the course of, you know, their, their, their it, whole life. Yeah. And I don't think. No, just on Yahoo serious either. I don't know if he's, if he's still, he might I, be still very famous. I'm not sure what he's up to. I'm not sure Yahoo's <laughs> Yahoo's getting into back in Australia. Yeah. I don't know if people want his, their comedians to challenge them. I think they want to agree with their comedians. So, you know, painting yourself in a corner as a comedian isn't always great. But, I mean, Chappelle's gone in his direction, and he's but you know, the perfect example of cancel culture not being real. I think Chappelle's doing absolutely fine. It doesn't seem real uh, at all in comedy. Like it seems like you just then will start a not, podcast. It's not. You never be canceled. You won't yeah. be canceled. I mean, if you're a fucking murderer in prison, maybe, I don't know. Even John John Mulaney, I thought did like I watched his special. I thought now that's somebody who has to like address. Like I went to rehab and I did all these things. And he he says he has a a, a line in his special where he's like, "Likeability is a jail," and I'm like, "Yeah." Wow, you're addressing this like wholesome, everybody loves you attitude and talking about it. That was, it was a good special, but it was also really interesting to watch. 
from a human perspective. Like, yeah, the, you know, Richard Pryor after burning his face off. Yeah. Well, like, that's the thing okay, man, what's going on now with you? Yeah. Well, that's when it's like, uh, I guess there's like so many, well, not, not quite the level of the Richard Pryor thing, but there are like a lot of comedy specials where it's like someone coming back from something and speaking their truth through it and almost like, I don't know, like, it, it, I think that audiences love that when they kind of get that, oh, this person's like letting us in a little bit. Like, it's like when you're watching the wrestling match and all of a sudden you're like, oh, this is a real fight. Like, they're fighting for real now. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I think that's the like the festival circuit in Europe, <clears throat> the shows like Edinburgh and it, like these shows, like pe- the comedians put on shows and it's, it's more of a one person show because there's a narrative, there's a story arc through it. It still has to be funny. But the thing that the, the shows that people really respond to, I mean, Daniel Sloss is a great example of you can say whatever you want. That guy has a whole special about finding out that one of his friends raped somebody. Wow. A comedy special. He has a comedy special and it doesn't shy away from the topic and it addresses it head on. And it's funny because he's a good comedian and it is it, at no point makes light of the situation it's everybody should Daniel Sloss is he's famous he's got a lot of specials and well deserved he's a perfect example of a guy that can address issues with comedy that everybody go you can't make a joke about this oh you can do a whole hour long narrative comedy special about it if you're good enough the the people that are complaining they can't make jokes about things just aren't good enough to do it Hmm. that's my problem you're you're addressing the wrong ideas. He's talking about it. It's addressed as an absolutely horrible thing. I'm not going to do it justice by explaining it. Everybody should watch it because it doesn't make sense. How can that be the subject of a comedy special? See for yourself and understand that in capable hands, this can be discussed on stage. It's, it's almost like comedy is, is like one of the most sort of, uh, I don't know, like, I guess, judge scrutinized in terms of like art forms when it, when when you try and break out of the mold. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying like when you do something obviously deliberately tasteless or or where you're punching down in yeah. a real way. But if you're like trying to like take it to somewhere new, it's it's a real. I don't know. It's like it's a fascinating art form to kind of like observe as an art form because like like you're saying, you can do stuff with it that people don't do. And but like that's what comedy has been doing since satire, like since the satyr plays in in, in, yeah. in Rome. You know, like there's this sort of tradition of this sort of thing. It's just you every you know you paint stand up with the same brush, whereas music it's categories. Mm. And I think that's what happens. Like, well, I love comedy. You know, that, that's that's the toughest thing about like if somebody's going to a fucked up show, they probably know what you sound like or know what a band you're playing with sounds like. Whereas, oh, here's a comedy club, and there's like a laughing, giggling cartoon character on the front. Like, I love laughing. I'll just go in here. And then it can be anything on that stage. It's, you know, it's a ventriloquist. It's somebody talking about anal sex. It's like this huge (laughs) swap that somebody that just walking off the street is like, well, that was bad because I didn't laugh. Well, you didn't research what to do with your money and your free time. You're a poor consumer. 
That's on you. Nobody's just like, well, I like music. Here's a music club. <laughs> Grindcore? Well, that was bad. No, you didn't research what to do with your money. <laughs> and so it's unfortunate that that's how comedy, all comedy gets held up as it's all, as it's all equal. You know, everybody yeah. loved taking a shit all over Hannah Gadsby's special. It's not funny. It's like, that's a one-person show because it came from that festival circuit. But they're going to hold it up to a Dave Chappelle special where somebody doesn't laugh because he's making all his points. But like, man, he's just speaking truth about stuff. He's not scared to say the things that he wants to say. It's like, I'd argue that they're both the same show. <laughs> People not afraid of what somebody might think about what they're saying on the comedy stage. Yeah, it's it, you're right. There is like, but I guess it's because of the way comedy has been presented and i think now because of podcasts and things like that as like someone who's not involved in comedy at all you can see uh the the genres begin to emerge a little bit you yeah. know based on like who does podcasts with each other and you can see where it crosses over a little bit like who's on oh this person's a part of this podcast universe and and there's this separate podcast universe over here like it's been interesting because like prior to that you're right like you go to a comedy show it's like a battle of the bands you're like you're getting the ska band, you're getting the grind yeah. band, you're getting it all. And it's like, it's like, yeah, there's clicks. That, that's one of my things now. Like, okay, I'll book, you know, I'll, I'll work at a club. And if I, so if I work at a club, they'll usually book local openers. And what, a good club owner will be like, oh, you know what would complement your act is this act that's not like yours. And that's a good booker of a club versus like, Ah, uh, bearded gruff guy probably gonna have a beer on stage. Here's three other bearded gruff guys probably gonna have a beer on stage. Like that, it just made it, like I just look like the final boss that you made the audience <laughs> sit through. You know, like now they're just like, oh, and what's your opinion on the same shit we just heard for last hour? I'm like, yeah, I, I, so that's why you have to be a little bit more choosy about, you know, like oh, I would like this audience to also realize here's other comics i read an article in the chicago tribune it was the guy who does the did the sound for the metro in chicago and this is in the 90s and it was just I, somebody decided to interview him because like oh the stuff you play in between bands is really weird it's like yeah everybody's here to see a heavy metal show so i'm gonna play uh reba mcintyre between bands because they're already gonna see heavy metal and people are now having more fun listen to Reba McIntyre in between metal bands because they're like, Oh, this is a nice break. Thank you for this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You want that. You want like, you want that sorbet in the middle of the meal to kind of cleanse the palate. Absolutely. And I, I mean, some, and it's fun for me as a comic because I'm like, I love watching a performer. That's just so weird. Like, I don't know how I'm going to follow this. They just crushed with some super goofball shit. And I'm going to come up there just normal. <laughs> like not working in the abstract whatsoever, but I, that's good. That's the challenge for me. That's what makes me grow. That's when you bust out that ear wiggling kit that you bought. Oh man. Yeah. yeah, Guys, guys. Oh, (laughs) Hey, I just uh, got a little tickle here. $5, dollars made me $500,000, baby. Turn that thing into a profit. (laughs) Yeah. Now now the real money comes in. Uh, Guys like shadow puppets. (laughs) (laughs) I've had like, you know, a lot of comedians that have come on have said that some of their worst shows that they've ever had to do have been when they've played with with bands. And 
I was just wondering, like, your experiences with that, and like, do you think it works, or why doesn't it work, or why does it work sometimes and not others? I I think it's back to the curation question. I mean, because I, I went on tour, I toured with the Falcon, which is uh, which is Brendan from Lawrence Arms, and it's Dan from Alkaline Trio, and Neil Hennessy, who's in mm-hmm. all the bands, and and and, and Dave Hawes from. Uh, uh, with Dave Hawes, yeah, yeah, loved ones, and Davey's uh, solo now. But and it was just because I liked them, and and was hanging out with Brendan. And I was like, well, let's try this thing. You get in the van with us, and we were out. And it was they had Arms Aloft was the well, they usually have a local opener. Then Arms Aloft was on tour with us. They're a fantastic band out of Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Uh, so Arms Aloft would play, then I would go on, and then the Falcon would play, and. In theory, it was good. In execution, people that are there for music, I'm like, I'm not afraid of that. I'll still get into that. I don't want to make, you know, I see too many comics think they could just make inside jokes about music and that'll win people over. I'm like, that's pandering. I don't want to do that. I still, if anything, I want to make fun of them because I'm one of them. And so I know the good things to make fun of. But it was just a lull of Arms Lob. It was still a punk show. So Arms Lob was up here energy-wise. And I came on and just talked. And then the Falcon came on. And I think people that were just coming out to think like, oh, Kyle's playing with bands. Let's go. And like they had to stand through punk shows. And they're just comedy fans. Might have been like, well, this is an interesting thing. But it wasn't what we hoped for. And then the energy of the show kind of fell because I was just talking and it wasn't music keeping the energy going. So people were either going to get drunk or they're sitting there sipping. And it was still, it was a good experience. It was, it, it, you know, I also had, it was also timing wise. It was, I think we went out a week after Trump won. I had a massive uh, gout flare up and had to go to the emergency room after the gig. And I think we were in Hamilton, <laughs> Ontario. I just had to have them drive me. I just slept in the emergency room waiting for pills so I could walk the next day. Oh uh, everybody got stuff. And we're, and we're all adults. It was 2016. We're all ad- adults. It was, I'm sorry, but it would have been, I think the election was late 2015, maybe. I think so. I forget how, I, yeah. I forget what year. And so we're full grown adults and not, you know, who's sober, but everybody got a stomach bug. I didn't get it. Like everybody got sick and threw up, but I got it sitting and I'm sitting in the worst seat in the van because I'm solo. And I'm like, well, I don't throw up when I'm not drinking. So I'm not going to throw up and I'm just sitting in a corner of the van and all of a sudden I just barf (laughs) everywhere. And I've like, I've never toured on, I've never toured in a band. I don't know van etiquette. I'm just trying to like mind my space I fucking barf. Like they got to pull over <laughs> national lampoon style. Everybody's running out. I'm spewing. I had a real long beard. So it just stuck in it. I just, <laughs> I paper mache my own face. It was, I mean, it was hilarious and it, looking back and I just couldn't stop apologizing. Everybody was sweet. They're like, buddy, we've been, all we've done is tour and bands through teenagers. Everybody in this van is throwing up in a van, pissed in a van, shit in a van. You're fine. I'm like, yeah, but we're in our 40s. Yeah. You guys are not home with your children right now. And now somebody's running to find napkins from this McDonald's so I can clean my body up. <laughs> uh, so that show was, and 
Montreal was the best because I had to go up and do stand up, and that the punk kids, you know, the, the language barrier doesn't matter as much with music. But then the whole place just wondered why a roadie was testing the microphone <laughs> for forty minutes. Like they just they just didn't know what was happening. Everybody's like, the mic works. Get off the stage. <laughs> I just did not understand what was going on. And, uh, but I still, I'm still grateful that we did that. It was fun. And that, you know, fest in fest in Gainesville has a huge comedy stage down yeah. there and it, and it mixes well. That's the best vibe for it. They tried it at punk rock bowling. I don't think it mixed as much over there. Punk rock bowling is a bit more of a, the go to see and be seen kind of festival than fest is. I mean, good times at both, but stand up, I don't think was had the attention paid to it as much as Gainesville did. I opened for Andrew bird once and that was wild because it was at uh, the Largo in Los Angeles, which they do a really good job curating music and comedy. And so I was just going to go out and just open the show, but it was a seated venue. And, but Andrew bird has like, you know, he's got like a like a, a canoe with bass strings going across it. Like the whole stage looked like a Jonathan Winters prop special. Like there was just, <clears throat> I don't know what he had, like fucking sonic gyroscopes. And I'm just trying to get to the mic. And it was just Mission Impossible stepping over every gadget and widget and what kind of you know, harmonic whoopee cushion is plugged into uh, the first amplifier, like, you know, invented by Nikola Tesla over here. And I just, I, it was, went fine, but I couldn't move away from the mic because of the grid system of like gadgets and everything. That's what I remember. <laughs> Maybe I'm over-exaggerating. I just remember being so scared of accidentally stepping on a pedal and ruining this very elaborate, beautiful stage show that was about to happen. But I guess it, it can be done. It's just not ideal. Yeah, I guess like the quieter the band or more not quiet, but I mean like the more kind of like in line with energy wise that it you know, because it's sit, I, sorry, go on. Yeah. So it's a sit sit down kind of adult evening out is where it would work best. Like, oh, we're gonna sit for this band. I don't go to a lot of sitting for a band kind of concerts. No, and it it's funny because like I think the bands want it. You know, I think the bands love it. You know, it's just the the audiences that are going there with the expectation. <laughs> they don't need the the change in vibe as much as the bands do. Like, I, I feel like we just got off tour. We had brought wrestlers on tour with us on the last tour as the opening act with us because it was us in a DJ group. And we're like, well, what splits the difference? We're like, oh, pro wrestling. And it, it got over energy-wise because... It was like high impact, people running around smashing each other. So it was like, yeah. but at the, it was also great because it wasn't another band. So I was very happy every night. They didn't have to sound check it. There was no backline in the way. No, no, there was a DJ who came up with them and uh, kind of called, announced it while they were wrestling around the room and stuff. And the wrestlers loved it because they have to kill each other at, in wrestling shows. But for this audience, they have to do shit. <laughs> they just kind yeah, of yeah. Do a couple of crowd pleasing moves and yeah that that crossover does seem perfect have you interviewed uh bobcat goldwave at all no he's been a a dream because you know you know about his punk band right well i was gonna i this is the weird part of my life is like oh now he lives in suburban chicago i want to out i think he's pretty obvious i won't out him too much but he uh 
he moved to Chicago. I think his missus is from there, and I know him. He had directed. He would show up and do stand up in L.A. when I was living there, and he directed a show called Those Who Can't. Uh, a lot of episodes of that. Who was also as Ben Roy, who is the singer of The Spells out of Colorado. Oh, and yeah. like all the, those guys have punk rock roots. But so I got to know Bobcat through it, and his stories about opening for Nirvana, and just like they loved it because they knew. Like he would just instigate shit and he will tell me the story, like the stuff he said about, I don't know, something about like in Chicago, something he said about like Michael Jordan's dad getting killed or something. I'm like, you really were trying to die for a while there. <laughs> and he's such a soft spoken, cool, like pleasant man to hang out with right now. But I'm like, the stories are like, I think you're just sitting back going, I can't believe I'm alive right now. I'm going to mellow out. <laughs> I forget who Neil Hamburger opened for, but there was that story where he played, uh, what was it, like <laughs> Madison Square Gardens or something? Oh, really? <laughs> and he, he got pelted. I think it was maybe for the Red Hot Chili Pepper. It's someone like ridiculous. And people just started whipping change at him. And then he stopped. They had stopped because he bent down and picked up every single piece of change that got thrown at him. And so people realized they had to stop throwing change because he wasn't going to stop picking it up. It was to see that. It's one of those like like knowing the joke. Now you go see Neil Hamburg and everybody knows what they're going to see. I remember I got that. I saw it was a Hot Water Music and Alkaline Trio show at Empty Bottle, and Sean S E A N Sean Na that opened for them. Yeah, but as before, he was ever Harmar superstar. Anybody knew who he was. So Sean Na opened. Then it was Alkaline Trio, and then before Hot Water Music, or maybe, <clears throat> sorry, flip the other way around, Hot Water Music, and then before Alkaline Trio, everybody's getting excited for Alkaline Trio, he came out as Harmar Superstar, just in a leotard and a cape by himself singing R&B songs. And nobody knew what the fuck was happening. <laughs> he didn't have a band. Yeah. He was just singing to a track, and to watch the audience split in between this is awesome versus like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> like <laughs> that was, that was the beauty. Cause it's less you're what you're, you're enjoying the reaction that they're creating. Like I think about that part of the Andy Kaufman film where like Andy Kaufman screws something up during Saturday Night live. And one of the other guys is like, Oh, what you just witnessed was a happening. Like trying to cover for Andy Kaufman being Andy Kaufman, yeah. which we all love Andy Kaufman. Man, the emulators are kind of insufferable sometimes. I I like uh I really do feel like some of my favorite shows were the disaster shows where I saw, you know, some band and it's just like you know that what you're seeing is not a good night for this band, but at the same time, you're seeing something so unique. Like most professional bands, they have great shows 80% of the time. You know, yeah. week one's 10% of the time, but the true disasters, those are like a one in 10 chance. Yeah. And it's because, you know, it's that, you know, this is the thing people are going to talk about. Yeah. And you know, <clears throat> this is the thing people are going to remember. I, I mean, I don't think I want to see like Guns and Roses in St. Louis destroying a stadium, but just watching people get frustrated. Oh, there's a band called the Mashers in Chicago and they're all very large men and they would just, they were they were a fun band, but like to watch a guy that's just a giant, giant, rotund individual jump into a drum set. And drum sets are sharp. They're pointy. Yeah. There's so many things sticking up. 
And like, I'm just watching somebody throw a water balloon at a cactus right now. This is so <laughs> like, I'm so worried. I'm so worried for this man, but also what a fun time. <laughs> Anytime we play this place called the big horse in Chicago, it was, it was, it was a venue that was behind a burrito restaurant next to the double door. The double door is legendary, but you don't I, I know the double door. Absolutely. Yeah, Double Door is legendary. There's a burrito, a burrito place next door, and there's just a, like a curtain in the back, and you go, and there's just this tiny bar, like dumpy bar, and just that, like that's where I remember seeing the mashers, and you just go in there, and that's where nobody was, nobody was trying their best at the Big Horse. <laughs> it was like, well, well, I booked us a gig, really? Where? Yeah, it's a Big Horse. Like, all right, well, we gotta get pretty ripped, <laughs> like. That's what I want to see. I like that's sometimes that's the best. Like I want to see you guys have a good time. Yeah, it's like it's it's almost the opposite with comedy. Like you never want to see someone have just like a disastrous comedy set, maybe in the same <sighs> way. Or maybe there are some great disasters. Oh, it's it's more of like when you know the show's bad and everybody's <clears throat> on the lineup. Like everybody's like, well, you know, it's a real uh the the band on the Titanic, like, oh, here we go, boys. <laughs> And I guess it's the other thing is like with a band, you can just drown out the depression, you know, like is once the song starts, it, you know, really, it doesn't matter people's reaction, but you're living in it the whole time with comedy. You it's, it's, it's good or bad. The band, you either have the support of like, here's my little army. Here's our gang going into this hostile environment. Or sometimes you're the hostile environment. Sometimes the band's not getting along and like, you know, that, that's, that's a rough situation too. It's, you know, it's sharing the wealth and sharing the tears with a band. Whereas comedy, if it goes well, you're like, yes, I did this. This was all me. I did a great job. I'm good at what I do. But if it's bad, boy, you take that, you take it all on the chin is what you do. It, it feels like it'd also be a fairly solitary kind of traveling experience. Like you're saying, like with a band, sometimes it's not great in terms of interpersonal dynamics, but with comedy, like do you do stuff with touring partners? I guess sometimes when people would tour together, but like for the most part, it seems like you'd be out by yourself. I'm pretty good solo. I, uh, I was, uh, once I heard somebody describe being an introvert as not like you don't hate people. You just feel more energized being by yourself. I'm like, Oh, that's what it is. And I don't think, I think comedy made me that way. Mm. I think I was always sitting at home. Like, what are we doing tonight? Where are we going? I need, I need to be social. And I think I needed the attention. Now that I do comedy, it's the attention's built in. And so when I have the free time, I just like, Oh, on the road. Yeah. I I sit in a hotel. I just by myself. (laughs) I guess it's like you found peace in comedy, you know, like in terms of like what you're describing, you know, like contentment. Yeah, I guess. I mean, it could sound like, you know, I could phrase it in a way that makes it sound sad and lonely. <clears throat> Honestly, speaking of Todd Berry and wrestling, the movie The Wrestler really hit comedians real hard. Yeah. It a lot of comedians. Like, that was the conversation. Like, do you see The Wrestler? Oof. <laughs> like, I was talking about the guy cleaning the carpets and, like, you know, is there a shelf life to the style of comedy that you're doing or not adapting to the current time? I mean, Mickey Rourke's character of like him just trying to relive glory days over and over, like 
well, this music is what was the best was. I'm like, come on, play this video game with me where I'm the character. Every comedian knew the comedian older than them that is who that was. And having to get the day job without a discernible skill. Like everybody knew somebody that went through that. And it was tough to watch because of that. I think for musicians too. Like it felt very yeah. much the same. But I think you're right with wrestling and comedy, the solitary aspect of it is very similar. And I, well, like Cole Cabana from Chicago, he's a guy yeah. who I think has tried to bridge those two worlds and really was like the first guy that highlighted it in sort of these interviews with these wrestlers of how similar the, the two kind of existences are between comedy and wrestling. Mine is the physical toll in the same oh, way. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it's the physical. Well, they're, you know, they're too physically beat up to do all the booze and drugs, but probably not. But I, I, when guy. I was in, yeah, when I was in Edinburgh, they have there's a there's a comedy duo called Max and Yvonne who are like they they do like sketch comedy, but they're also do like they also have a wrestling background. And the one night off, so Edinburgh is a month long festival that you perform every night, except for one night right in the middle. And that one night, at least when I was there, I think they do it every year, most of you they have the wrestling. And it's all comedians from the festival who have been training with, because there's also a wrestling, like a big, I don't want to, it's like tournament or match what that is going on in the city as well. That's a legit, like legit wrestlers from all over. That's Cole Cabana was there. But so these comedians have all done some things, like trained with some guys on the side to then participate in this wrestling match. <laughs> but then I went and saw the regular wrestling match that Colt was in. And it was like, this is the best time because it is, for, for long, I, I try to make a joke work about how, like, I feel bad because I'm indifferent to RuPaul's drag race and I'm indifferent to the UFC. Like, these are two polarizing things that people rally around and I just don't care about either. But wrestling is the perfect melding of both because it's athleticism and pageantry. Very true. Yes. <laughs> That really is like, the, the, like, because it's still like, oh, this is still an incredibly physical, dangerous thing to see. But the theatrics and storylines are an absolute blast to watch it in court. I'm not, I'm not gonna say I'm a huge fan or everything. It's one of those things that every time it's on or I'm around it, I'm like, oh, we got to stop. Even street fairs in Chicago will just have wrestling, just as much as they'll have a comedy stage or a band play. I remember walking around like, 2 p.m. We're gonna do some wrestling right in front of the hot dog tent. I'm like. Okay, yeah. Well, it's, you know, because arguably the biggest name to come out of Chicago punk in that 90s period is CM Punk. Like, he's there, a guy, yeah. millions of people tune in to watch him each week. And it's, you know, he's he's one, another person that kind of came out of the scene. And another great talker, too. A lot of great talkers. Like, I'd love to see <laughs> Punk and Martine do, like, <laughs> promo battles back and forth. I had uh, I when I was taping a special at the Metro, I weird. I'm like, I'm like, let me try and do some sketch. It didn't. The sketch did. I think it made it on some cut of the of the special. But like, I do a goofy intro sketch with uh, Joe Shanahan, who owns the Metro, Brendan Kelly, and then I had uh, Larry from Pegboy. And I'm like, let me just shoot a text. I don't know CM Punk. Like, we had exchanged things at one point. He had just made some mention. He's like. I think me and Kyle Kinane were at the same shows in Chicago at one point, which was very true. Like he had a flyer from some show in Elgin, like 88 fingers Louie and stuff. I'm like, Oh yeah, I was definitely at that show. 
But so he's like, yeah, I'm in town. I'll just come down and shoot this thing. I was like, oh, that's very cool of you. Because I'm kind of like, oh, I know he's a pretty famous wrestler. And then he's hanging out. And then afterwards, I kind of like did a little more research. I'm like, man, thank you very much for taking the time to do this. <laughs> uh, but it was just, yeah, it was a nice guy there. I don't know much about his wrestling background. I kind of like tried to go into the UFC and I don't know. I don't know. There's like a lot of wrestling politics I hear. It's like Dolph Ziggler crosses into comedy a lot. I, I, I did some stuff with him and, and like a lot of wrestlers will come out to comedy and vice versa. So yeah. And Grado too, um, from Scotland as well. He was the, uh, have you ever seen the Scottish wrestler documentary vice did years ago? And he's now on a BBC, a couple of different BBC comedy shows over as well, but, uh, a, a wrestler who yeah. found the crossover. I think he was probably part of that one that Colt Cabana was doing. Yeah, definitely. I'm sure he was. Because it was much like it was in a very confined space. So it wasn't as much of the athleticism. So they really relied heavily on the comedy aspect, especially because it's a theater festival. Well, that's why this thing is so, uh, the, the art form so interesting to me, wrestling, because it's like, it, it can be something that's completely comedic. But then at the same mm-hmm. time, with a little more pressure, you'll snap that guy's arm. And so there's also that, like you're saying, that element of danger that that oh uh, yeah satiates that need, the bloodlust. It's 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 Broadway. I had a, a like late in life appreciation for musicals and Broadway shows. I'm not well versed, but just the fact, just the coordination of like stand up is the easiest fucking thing in the world compared to everything else because. Music, you still have to learn an instrument and find other people that wanted to make the same kind of music you want to do and still find a, a, a group to connect with. <clears throat> Wrestling, there's the athleticism and also the theatrics of it. And like Broadway, you're memorizing lines. You have to act well. You also have to know where to be where these giant set pieces are moving around. And you have to, this is the thing, you have to repeat that <clears throat> over and over again. So psychologically, I am fascinated with theater performers because even as a stand-up, I can't, I don't improv a lot, but I can change up the words. I can do it a little different. I can change the order. And you're on a Broadway show for months at a time, every night going, I am going to say this again. That sounds maddening to me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I definitely, and I would, I would do one better. I'd say lead singer is the easiest job in the world in a hardcore <laughs> band. You just, you just need a, 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 a giant gaping hole in your soul that has to be filled with people's attention. That's all you need to do it. Yeah, but you also still got to help carry the drums. Sometimes, but no, because you're the lead singer. At least you should. At least you should. <laughs> you're the lead singer. Do you really? I you mean, carry the mer- you got to carry the merchant. You should be doing something. You got physical. your ego to carry, my friend. You got this giant. Oh, wow. <laughs> no, no teamwork out of Damien. All right. Okay. You're that kind of band. You're that kind of musician. I, I learned I learned from my, uh, you know, all the greats that came before me that, you know, like the Gwen Stefani in the Don't Speak video. That mm. that is something that I carry with me on a daily basis. It's my burden uh, that I have to deal with. Actually, I love it. it was always it's always my buddy Marco is the one that was disappeared. He was a singer and guitar player, but like we're carrying his amp. Like, where were you? He's like, I had to talk to the fans. Like, who? My mom. That's who came to the show. Listen, we'll see her back at the practice space because that's our basement. 
You don't you have gotta, to talk to her right now. You got to press the flesh. You know, singer. <laughs> you got to yeah. get out there and and meet those fans and, and yeah. network and all that kind of uh, stuff. I was running merch. Oh, you mean the five CDs we burned off that demo we made? That's fine. So, did you guys actually put out uh, a demo back then? No, we 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 went. We recorded some of those songs with uh, Master Genie at Sonic Iguana. Uh, pop punk impresario absolutely the the uh the the legendary the, the phil specter of a lot of lookout record bands back in the day yeah, absolutely well i, I remember uh, like minus the shooting somebody in the face yeah that's yeah. <laughs> the worst part of the... <laughs> minus yeah. the horrible part in the wigs that was always the dream though to get to to go down there as a band and record with mass i had friends that that did it like they were like you know because canadian, canadian dollars worth a lot less than the american so you had to save a little bit <laughs> Yeah. Oh, it was still a chunk of change for us. I, I think uh, our singer had a really good job at the time. So he was like, I'm going to, don't worry, I'm going to spend it. We, like the rock star dreams, like, we're going to make it back. <laughs> we're going to make it back in a couple months. Don't even worry about it. We never even got it pressed. <laughs> Could never decide on the name, you know? Yeah. You, you got to put that E in there and then there's the F. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Are you gonna nah, do it's, all, it's all gone to shit now. Uh, well, dude, this has been awesome. And I could punish you for the whole night, but I don't want to force you to stay here, but you know, anytime you want to come back on this podcast and talk about any of this stuff, you are all I love. Let's do a part two. I mean, let's hang. I'll be in, I'll be in Toronto. I'll be in Toronto soon. So. Are you really coming up here soon? Yeah. I'll tell you, hold on. Let me find uh shit. If we, if we're plugging dates, I don't know. I'll do, I'll, out, I'll but... do the plugs on the wraparound. You know, I, I, I save you from having to do your own plugs. Okay. But yeah, it's in, it's in a few weeks. I, uh, I uh, bit off more than I can chew with the, my venue. So any help, any, any help is uh, welcome in Toronto right now. Well, if you need if you need someone to get up there and lead singer it up, I'm ready to scream into that microphone for you. I fucked up my play. I don't know, guys. I'm just spreading some rumors that uh, get. I'm not saying they are. I'm not saying they're not. Uh, we're gonna really, really test the audience. If they if they had a hard time sitting through the Falcon, why do they see fucked up? <laughs> I mean, if they're ready for my voice, I think they'll be all right with some fucked up. Uh, well, Kyle, thank you so much for doing this. Dude, thank you. Really excited to do this. Thank you, Kyle, for coming on the show. It sounded like I was being auto tuned there a little bit, but. I wasn't. That was my natural ability right there. Thank you, Kyle, for coming on the show. And as you heard right there, Kyle will definitely be back for a part two at some point in the future. And once again, maybe you can witness the part two in person on, on July 13th at the Danforth Music Hall with me and Kyle. Just just chatting IRL. I'm really building this up. Maybe, maybe I don't even meet him. Maybe he doesn't even leave the backstage area. Maybe he doesn't even say hi to me. Oh, boy. Now I'm going to be disappointed, and I've also sold you on this great meeting, too. Well, let's just move on and hope for the best with this one. See uh, see on the 13th, see how it all plays out. Uh, speaking of seeing how it all plays out, seeing how this podcast plays out on the next episode, whew, it's a doozy. One of my favorite visual artists ever. A hugely influential visual artist on me, but also someone who's been very influential in one of his other creative outputs from the band, The Replacements, the great Chris Mars is on the show. This is a good one. This is someone who, you know, you don't hear 
talk uh, a lot about uh, this part of their lives, or it's definitely interviews and stuff. But this is this is fun. This is a, I'm really excited for you to hear this. This is a total. I don't know. I'm gonna hype it up to you and ruin it. Just tune in next week. Just tune in. Chris Mars from the Replacements and like a, an unbelievable painter too. You'll hear all about it next week on the podcast. Well, that's it. Remember, as always, Black Lives Matter. The lives and issues of Indigenous peoples all over the world matter. We need to protect trans kids and help trans people protect themselves and their rights and stop hate and violence towards people of different faiths and different races and make sure that people keep their hands out of other people's reproductive systems because what we're talking about here, these aren't political things. These are just like human rights things. People deserve to be able to live free. You know, politics is like, you know, lines on the road and and school stuff, which, you know, politics are important, but this is human rights. This is Trump's politics. So there's organizations out there that are doing positive work in your community. I'm sure they could benefit from your time, money, if you have it, um, despair, I mean, um, you know, like support. There's there's just tons of ways that you can be uh, affecting some positive change in this world. And you, you got to do it because believe me, the other, the people that are trying to take away other people's rights, they're definitely getting involved and definitely doing stuff right now. So there's got to be some sort of counter effort to prevent some sort of great slide. And I say this as someone in Canada looking at my country. I'm not looking at America and, and just shaking my fist. I'm actually terrifyingly looking around the world and seeing this stuff go down and people try and take away people's rights to just be a be be a, a person, you know, just live their lives. Anyway. Speaking about affecting change, try making something. Make a, a band, a fanzine, a podcast. Like it might not change things in the grand scheme of things and the, the you know, but it will change your life and probably change your mental health. And hell, maybe it builds the scene. Maybe you wind up doing something that affects other people and has positive ripple effects on other people's lives. You know, who knows where it goes? That's the the great thing about this music. Like it starts modest and it ends sometimes macro. And modest macro, does that work together? Anyway, you know what I'm getting at. Uh, So start a band, start a fanzine, maybe not a podcast, but sure, you could do a podcast. Speaking of mental health stuff and stuff that helps your mental health, try meditating. That's something that keeps coming up on this show with different guests and it's something that I've tried and I've found a lot of benefit in. I know I need to do it more because when I don't, I start feeling uh pretty shit, pretty, pretty shit. So try meditation. There's lots of apps out there. I know I'm not the first person. So <laughs> certainly not the first person to talk about this and the importance of it. So there's probably someone out there a lot smarter than me that would be able to convince you to try it. And uh, sign your organ donor cards because by the time they come looking for those organs, you don't need them. And I've seen it with my own eyes. Organs trans, organ transplants provide miracles and can make miracles happen. I've witnessed it firsthand. All right, that's it for me. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and I will see you on the next episode.